Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. will stand with me. Let's look at Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> I want us to go into the word of the Lord. We recognize his presence here this morning. We're at Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 15. Uh, if you stand with me, please. Verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news or good things. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning uh, that you help us. God, I think that you... Uh, speak through circumstances, through events. You speak through your word. You speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through the ministry of preaching. God, that your word would be declared authoritatively and that you would move to the demonstration and power of your spirit, whatever that looks like. But God, help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due season you would lift us up. That as we are lifted up, and our worship and our praise, the glory of Jesus Christ would be made known. That he would be enthroned in our praises. For we know, Lord, that your eyes are roaming to and fro over all the earth, seeking true worshipers. I pray, God, that your eyes would find it here. We find true worshipers here. We find true worshipers at my house. Your eyes wouldn't pass by looking somewhere else. God, but your eyes would stop and see that we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, I encourage you to pray, uh, pray about this evening, be here this evening. The Dooleys will be sharing uh, with us uh, about the ministry and work of the Lord and the Dominican Republic. And this is a blessed couple who has uh, given all to serve the Lord. I have an opportunity to sow into that ministry. You can do it anytime online uh, here at the church through ministering together. Uh, but tonight, particularly, we want to bless them. And I want to encourage you to be here, please. Uh, tonight, at, um, my personal request, please be here. Uh, it encourages people to hear what God is doing. It also gives us an opportunity uh, to minister to them, to pray for them. Uh, we'll We'll bring some pizza in uh, to fellowship. <clears throat> uh, 
I believe on the is it Marianne on the 23rd uh, or is it the 23rd, 24th, and 25th autumn, the sports VBS? Uh, I forget. It's next weekend, not this coming weekend, the next weekend, I believe, is a sports VBS. Pray that kids come to that and get saved. Um, we need people to pray, intercede on behalf of that. That's something God put in to the heart of Marianne Tolley. She needs workers, helpers. It's an outreach. Uh, we're rejoicing that July the 9th, Saturday at 7 p.m., uh, we're going to launch a Spanish church. Can we praise the Lord for that? It's going to happen here on Saturday night. And I believe that that is an answer to prayer and part of a vision that God has given that this sanctuary will be filled with the ministry of our Spanish brothers and sisters declaring the beauty and glory of Jesus. So please be praying for that. And looking to um, the future of Riverstone, uh, we have to place a priority as a church uh, to be a place that sends people out who are preaching the gospel, uh, that are people who are preaching the message to those who hear, that God moves on those who hear, and that they believe in uh, the word of the Lord, and that when they believe in the word of the Lord, they will call on uh, the Lord. As I've mentioned over the last several weeks in this passage that we've been looking at, <clears throat> it's really best if you kind of work at it from the bottom up. Um, when one is sent, they will preach. And when they preach, others will hear. When others hear, they will believe. And when others believe, they will call on the Lord in faith. And so we've talked about what it means to be a sending church. The New Testament was a sending church. They sent people out uh, to share the message of hope. Uh, we spoke about preaching the proclamation of the gospel and how you and I are called to share that message of hope with others. We've spoken about what it means to hear and believe the word of the Lord. And believing requires us to truly hear from God, and often there are uh, competing voices that keep us from hearing God's true voice. So I was listening this week at... Uh, the, the conference a pastor was speaking and he shared how God had moved on him to uh, quit looking at some things on television. He said it wasn't anything necessarily bad. It was just shows that most of us would find humorous, um, you know, uh, and he said, but what God spoke to him was that it wasn't good for him to laugh at or be ambivalent towards the things that God calls sin. When you watch a show and it, you know, it just kind of gets to the edge of things to make a humorous joke and we laugh at that and we think it's funny. We're actually laughing at the things that God calls sin. He also talked about how <clears throat> we can actually open the blinds in our homes uh, to what I believe are uh, demonic forces, 
God, desire our attention. And we welcome that in our home and we say, teach us. Show us your ways. Uh, let us see what you do. We begin to think, we begin, you know, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit. We, we look at things and we begin to mimic what we see. And um, someone cleverly stated one time, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. So as a church, we, again, uh, believe, I believe, I, I think we believe together, that God is calling us to be a sending church, preaching church, listening and believing church. And the final part of these couple of verses that Paul points us to is calling out uh, to the Lord. And that's where I'd like us to focus uh, today. <clears throat> you have to believe before you call out to the Lord because you don't call out to that which you don't believe in, which is why a prayerless life is such a red flag. A prayerless life should be a red flag to any of us when we're not drawn to the Lord in prayer, when we're not longing uh, to seek Him, we're not thinking about Him throughout uh, the day, or not thinking about talking to Him as I'm talking to you, or not uh, conscious of His presence uh, uh, around us, because it can actually point to unbelief. That's why the Bible says to pray without ceasing. I don't think that means that you know you have to be audibly praying without ceasing all day. But what it does mean is that we have to be aware of the presence of God and constantly in communion with Him uh, throughout our day. So we, we call out to what we believe in. And again, just to reemphasize the point, conversely, if you're not calling out, it should be a red flag. Do I really believe the truth of the Scriptures? Do I really believe the truth of the Scriptures? There are many times that Scripture tells us to call out to God, and I think out of this passage and its context, I'd like us to look at three, three of those areas. Um, we call out to God when we first believe. We call out to God in a day of trouble, and we call out to God for His presence. So the immediate context of Romans 10 and 14 is um, that we believe the words of Scripture or the preaching of the Word that comes to us that tells us about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we uh, believe that, uh, we call out to God for our salvation. And to be saved means to be delivered from sin and the judgment of sin uh, that will ultimately happen in the last days where we're saved by believing on the righteous sacrifice of Jesus as He died on the cross and He shed His blood as a penalty for your sin and for my sin. In this passage, Paul quotes a lot of Old Testament um, in chapter 10. In verse 13, uh, just prior to our text, he quotes Joel 2 and 32. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Peter quotes the same passage in Acts 2 and 21. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if we, if we look at Joel, what was going on uh, with Joel, Joel was an Old Testament prophet. He primarily ministered to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Judah was generally in spiritual and economic decline during Joel's ministry. Sound familiar? <clears throat> they had experienced a locust plague that had been devastating to crops and to the people. Again, a plague, does that sound familiar? And so, again, he was primarily ministering Israel at this time where the nation of Israel was split into two main kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah was where Joel was primarily ministering, and he prophesies to the people and says that the plague um, was little in comparison to what was going to come. You don't like the plague. You don't like what's happening. What's happening in this moment with the plague of the locusts, essentially, Joel says, is small in comparison to the destruction that's going to come because of the sinfulness of the people. And Joel points us to an understanding of how God often uses natural events and disasters to get our attention to cry out to Him and to seek Him. And I think, you know, we come through... Uh, COVID and the death and destruction that it brings and, uh, you know, it's kind of waves of that that came through. We all realize that. We have to see the devastation that it brought uh, both to people, relationships between people, but also uh, to, to the church. In fact, some of the news that you might would listen to at the time, a lot of the battles were happening because of the theology that we hold of gathering together. And governments and people were saying, don't gather, don't gather, don't gather. And again, you know, I understand there's certain wisdom and some things, so I'm not pointing a finger there. But what I am trying to say is a lot of people were saying, no, that, this, 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 God has nothing to do with that. And I, I think that's the wrong approach to look at when we look at things such as this that come upon the whole world. God is speaking, and we have to ask the question, what is God saying? What is God saying to us as his people corporately? What is God saying? And I think what we will find as we read through Scripture is that the plague of COVID is small in comparison to what is to come. If my people will call by my name, do not humble themselves, and seek the face of the Lord and cry out to him. You know, there's this mystery between God's work, God's sovereignty, God's grace, and our effort. We can sit at the side and say, God's going to do what God's going to do. And I'm just going to kind of roll along down the river, and God's going to do what God's going to do. Or we can say, in some way, God has charged me to be an agent that cries out to him on behalf of his people. And I pray earnestly, God, stay your hand from the destruction that is to come. You see, that happened in Jonah's day when Jonah went and ultimately when he preached to uh, the Ninevites, 
God said, I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing judgment. And Jonah went and preached. And to me, when I read the the book of Jonah, it kind of seems almost like half-heartedly. And then he goes back and sits back on the uh, mountainside and waits for destruction to come. How would you like that for your Sunday morning preacher? (laughs) Preaching to you about the coming judgment of God not hoping you'll repent, but going back and waiting afar so that, you know, I don't get singed, but all the while hoping that God strikes with a vengeance. (laughs) The Ninevites repented. They heard and they moved and they repented and they cried out and they fasted and they sought the Lord and God stayed his hand for a hundred years. God stayed his hand for a hundred years. And ultimately destruction did come upon them later on. But God stayed his hand for a hundred years. Joel shares that for those who seek God, disaster can be averted. Joel 2, 13 through 17 says this. And tear your heart and not merely your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger abounding in mercy and relenting of catastrophe. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, resulting in a grain offering or a drink offering for the Lord your God. Meaning, God might relent from his judgment, allow you to grow the necessary crops so that those crops become an act of sacrificial praise back to God. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. They they have a place here too. They have a place to cry out. They have a place to seek the Lord. It wasn't just the adults who kind of understood everything that was going on. Get the kids seeking the Lord too. Let the groom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace with the nations jeering at them. Why should those among the people say, Where is their God? Why should the world around us say, Where is your God? If the guy who doesn't know the Lord reads the book of Acts, would he say, Where is your God? God speaks through Joel to call people to cry out to him in order to be saved from the judgment that is to come. And this is the idea that Paul is pointing us to in Romans chapter 10 and 14. Calling out to God requires us to have belief in the character and promises of God. If you don't believe that God is going to judge sin, then what's the purpose of seeking him? If you don't believe that God is going to judge sin, then what's the point of getting saved? But if you believe there is judgment to come, and if you want to avert that judgment, you will call out to God. In the West, where most of us were raised, our culture's individualism often leads us to believe, I have prayed to receive salvation. God has saved me. And Brother Tony, I'm glad to tell you all about Jesus, but essentially you're on your own if you decide to follow him or not. Yet, 
we are called to call on to God for others as well. When we walk around this world and we see other people and we see how they're living and we see what's going on in their life and we see the debauchery in our society and we see the wickedness that is rampant and growing, when we see all these things, our heart ought to be torn and we ought to cry out to God on behalf of them as well and not just say, thank God I'm saved and I'm not like them. But God, save them as well. Help them to hear. Joel calling out to God was a corporate effort. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, bring the children, bring the babies, get the bride and groom out of their chamber, bring in the priests, bring them all, let's seek them together and cry out on behalf of the nation. Gather the people to call out to God for salvation of the people from the calamity that is to come. So our hearts should be broken and moved over those who have not heard the gospel and those who have heard the gospel but haven't been changed by its message. So we ought to cry out to God when we see the day of trouble approaching. I believe we're, we're seeing that day of trouble approaching. We should cry out to God for ourselves to be saved, but we also should cry out to God for others to be saved from the threat that is ahead. We see those threats coming. But we're not just crying out because of what we see happening. We're crying out because of what we're in the midst of right now. You see, Judah was not only facing the coming judgment of God, but they were already in the midst of judgment. Judgment was churning upon them. Locusts had destroyed the land, and the judgment was only going to get worse, and their only recourse was a national revival. You realize that for us, for our country, for our world, the only recourse we have is a worldwide revival. The only recourse we have is a worldwide revival that changes people's hearts for the gospel. The people were not only to cry out to God for what was out there, but to cry out to God for what they were in right now. In Romans, our text, Paul emphasizes that the unbelieving Jews are in the midst of trouble. Their spiritual blindness and the oppression of Rome was part of their judgment because, as Romans 10.21 says, they were disobedient and obstinate. This is the emphasis throughout the gospel. Jews were generally an unbelieving people. That's why many of Jesus' miracles were opening the deaf ears and the blind eyes because it was symbol, symbolic of Israel's deafness and Israel's blindness. And so Jesus moved among the people spiritually and physically opening blind eyes and opening ears that couldn't hear so that they would hear and see. You see, when we're in the midst of the day of trouble, it's often a green light to call out, cry out to God. Psalm 50 and 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. Psalm 91 and 15 says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. Psalm 18 and 6 says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. 
From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. You see, there's a time when we're in the midst of trouble that we should cry out to the Lord when the world seems to be closing in around us. This is a time to cry out to Jesus. Crying out to Him, not simply because of what is to come, but crying out to Him because of what we're in the middle of. But often, even at the point that we find ourselves right now, I have to wonder, do we really realize how bad it is? Or is it just when hours pass, the pennies and nickels and dimes tick up on the gas pump, that we begin to think, oh, this is getting kind of bad. It's impacting my pocket a little bit more. God, help me. Is it bad enough for us to cry out to God now? Crying out to Him because of what we see on the horizon. Crying out to Him because of what we're in the midst of right now. Those are things that motivate us, kind of external circumstances that push us into God's presence. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a beauty that comes when Things aren't so bad. Things aren't so difficult. And we call out to Him for His presence. It's often, I believe, a forgotten aspect to motivate us to urgency in prayer. Because it often seems more motivating to call out to God when it's something that I feel like impacts me right now. God, help me understand. God, help me through this challenge. God, save my lost loved ones because I don't want them to go to hell. God, God, save our city. God, do this. God, do that. God, 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 help in this. And those are all very fine and very good prayers, but they ought not be devoid of a motivation to call out to God when things are going well because we long so much for His presence. Paul's emphasis in Romans 10, 14 is that if you believe, you will call out to God. In Psalm 27, David speaks of longing for God's presence. I want you to listen closely to this portion of chapter 27. It says one thing, one thing, one thing. Of all the things I could ask for, there's one thing that I have asked from the Lord. One thing I've asked, and one thing I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For what purpose? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So David's saying, One thing I've asked from the Lord and one thing I'm going to seek is that my life becomes a place, my purpose in my life becomes where I am dwelling in God's house, I am in God's presence, and all I want to do when I'm in His presence is I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and I want to meditate on His beauty, I want to think about His beauty, I want to think about His glory, I want to reflect on who He is, I want to do that all the days of my life. Why do I want to do that on all the days of my life? On the good days, 
the days when things are going well, God. The one thing that I want to do, God, in the day when things are going well is I want to be in your temple. I want to be in your presence, in essence, is what David is saying. God, help me every day of my life to be in your temple, to be in your presence, to think about you, to walk with you, to reflect upon you. Lord, to behold your beauty. Have you ever thought about the beauty of Jesus? The beauty of Jesus. You know, we know when we see things that are beautiful because it makes an impact upon us. I remember with absolute clarity the first day I laid eyes on my wife. I remember what location she was at. I remember the green plaid dress she had on. I remember the black overcoat that she was wearing on that December day. That's still in our closet and she still wears. I remember where she was walking. I remember what she looked like when she didn't know me but recognized my friend and asked for help. I remember. I recall what it was to lay eyes on someone who I felt was beautiful. I'd never seen anyone like that before. I think, do I have that memory of Jesus? To behold his beauty, to behold his glory, to behold his wonder, to behold his majesty, to know what great things he has done for me, how he has been kind and compassionate, and any earthly beauty that I have ever laid eyes on does not compare in any way, shape, or form to the beauty of Jesus. I would lay down my life for this woman. You know, we were married by an uh, old school Pentecostal guy. And our vows were the old school way of my, my wife saying that she would love, honor, and obey. And the vows for me were, are you willing to lay down your life for her? You see, we all like with our ladies at times, particularly in the church, to hammer the submission point. Submit. <laughs> but do we also hammer the, I must lay down my life? It doesn't just mean when somebody comes with a gun or a knife or somebody comes along in that way that I'm to give my life to protect her. It also means in a daily way, I've got to think how am I laying down my life? How am I laying down my life to help and to lift up someone else who can be burdened and challenged? How am I laying down what I want, my wants, my desires, my longings? How am I laying that down in order to lift up someone else? And that has to be the way in which we seek the Lord as well. What are we willing to lay down in order to really see the glory and beauty of Jesus? 
may not get this whole story right. I didn't plan to share it. Some of you may have heard it before. It's a, maybe it's a fable or maybe it's a, a, a true story. In whatever culture it was and whatever place it was, uh, there was a dowry offered for uh, the bride. And uh, there was uh, a bride who no one really desired uh, for various reasons. Uh, she wasn't maybe uh, attractive to look at or maybe didn't have the right personality or other things, but wasn't a desirable bride. But there was uh, a man that came along and uh, saw something in the bride. And that uh, that culture, you know, to give... Uh, a proper exchange for a bride, uh, a dowry, uh, would have maybe been an animal, maybe a sheep, uh, a cow, would have been uh, something, you know, quite extraordinary. And so for someone to offer something like that for a bride would seem very, very valuable. And uh, the suitor comes along, the man comes along, and he sees this woman who no one else has wanted. And for the dowry, he offers ten cows. Astronomical, unbelievable. I mean, like, who would ever have thought that? Even the most beautiful woman in town didn't get that. Then cows. And he goes and he takes her away, and they are married, and they uh, he, he they get married, and then he takes her away. <laughs> uh, they go off. Many years later, they come back and. They recognize the man, but uh, this woman that's with him, they don't recognize any longer. They don't um, know what happened to the, to the first lady. They see this other lady who is there. And through conversation and asking and wondering, they come to find out this is the woman. But instead of being treated like a woman who was just worth a sheep or a single cow, she had been treated like someone who was very valuable. Ten cows from that culture, very, very valuable. And when she came back, because she had been treated like someone who was valuable, she came back full of worth and dignity. You see, when we value something and we can see within it the spark. That's what the Lord has done for us. He saw value in us. He's bought us with a beautiful price. David, he says, you know what? I see the Lord giving everything I've got to get to that place of being with Jesus. He says, I want to be in your presence. I want to dwell in your house all the days of my life. For on the day of trouble, so when things are going well, because I love you, Jesus, because I value you, I place value upon you because you've placed value upon me first. I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your house all the days of my life. I want to behold your beauty. I just want to meditate in your temple. Think on your word. Think on who you are. Uh, glory in your presence, Jesus, because on the day of trouble, when I'm in your presence, you're going to conceal me. You will conceal me in your tabernacle. 
you will hide me in the secret place of your tent and you will lift me up on a rock and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around him and I will offer sacrifices to the Lord in his tents with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises unto the Lord. In essence, what David is saying is, God, I want to be in your presence all the days of my life. I want to be uh, beholding your glory, beholding your beauty. I want to call upon you because you are worthy to be called upon. I want to sit and I want to meditate upon you, Lord, because when the day of trouble comes, I'm already in your tabernacle. I'm already in your presence. I'm already in your tent, Lord, and you'll conceal me from the enemy. You'll lift me up above the flood. And even in that moment, Lord, I will offer sacrifices of praise unto you. The one thing that I want, Lord, David says, is to be in your presence and to behold your beauty. I will seek it. I will long for it. Well, David says, I'm asking you, God, to be in your presence. The one thing I've asked from the Lord, the one thing I've called out to ask for, God, is to be in your presence. And he says, that I shall seek. I'm praying. I'm seeking you, Jesus. I'm longing after you, Jesus. And sometimes that's just as far as we get. We'll wake up in the morning. God, help me to have a good day today. We put our legs off the side of the bed and we roll on. And what do we do to make it a good day? We're seeking God's presence. David said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm calling out to you, God, and I'm going to not just call out to you, but I'm going to seek your presence. Now, if I'm seeking something, I'm bringing whatever I got after what I'm seeking. So I can sit here and say to somebody, I want brownies, right? I want something sweet. I want some brownies. I want some brownies. But you know, somebody's got to seek after it, don't they? You know, this is the easy way. There's the more difficult way. But either way, somebody has to seek after it. Somebody has to go to the store and actually lay down some money and buy some mix. This particular mix takes some water. Somebody's got to bring some water. Somebody's got to bring some oil. Somebody's got to bring the eggs. Somebody's got to bring this to the table. So you can cry out all the time that you want for brownies. You can cry out for the sweetness of the Lord. You can cry out for the presence of the Lord. But at some point, you've got to bring some things to the table. In other words, what probably uh, some athletes would say is you've got to have some skin in the game. That's the mystery of the presence of God. He calls us. He desires us. But at some point, you've got to have skin in the game. And you got to ask yourself, what's my skin in the game? What are the things that I'm willing to give up or pursue in order to get in the presence? 
What are the things in my life that prevent me from entering into that presence? I can pray, God, get me in your presence. God, get me in your presence while I'm watching Fox and CNN. Is it going to happen? Not sure it's going to happen. While I'm scrolling whatever feed you want to scroll, is it going to happen? I'm not sure it's going to happen. God, get me in, get me in your presence while I'm welcoming in all the things that culture is throwing at me. Get me in, get me in your presence, God. Get me in your presence. Sometimes we've got to sacrifice some things. We've got to do something to get into God's presence. The one thing I have asked from the Lord, God, help me to get in your presence. God, I want to be in your presence. I've heard about it, Lord Jesus. Lord, I've heard about what it means to be in your presence. God, I've heard testimonies of people who have been before you, who have been in that place where your presence is so strong and rich, Lord, where they behold your beauty. God, help me to get in your presence. But what am I going to do to seek it? What time am I going to give up to intercede and to pray? There's been revivals throughout history. Well, they've been a long time coming. Months, years, decades of people giving up time and praying and seeking the Lord. We must be active in seeking the Lord. We must be active. We must be active in worshiping Him and offering shouts of joy and singing praises to Him. We must be active in examining every single thing in our life that doesn't point to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. I'm doing it. I'm telling you, I'm doing it. I'm trying to understand and to figure out what in my life does not point to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. Is it what I watch? Is it what I read? Is it where I go? What is it? It may not be bad. Other people may do it. It may be just fine. But what is it? I want to seek him as a treasure. I want to seek him and behold his beauty. Because when I seek him for his presence, when I seek to be concealed in his tabernacle, when I seek to be in his tent, when I seek to offer sacrifices of praise, the book of Joel tells me that God will do something magnificent and mighty. Whatever my past has been, whatever the trouble I've had in the past, God will make up to me for the years that the locusts have stolen. God will pour out his spirit upon me. God will give to us sons and daughters who will prophesy and old men who will dream dreams and young men who will see visions and men and women God will pour out upon his spirit. Is that what we want? You know, I get kind of crazy when you seek to be in God's presence. You realize that? Have you ever seen somebody under the weight of glory? I'll share this. I'm going to pray. There's a place over in Ashland that I've been to. Um, And if you were to think about what it was like to go to a church campground in the 50s, it's probably what this place is like. You know, block walls that are kind of painted. And, um, 
asphalt that's kind of busted up, you know, over the years that they haven't had funds to repair. And, um, you know, just a place that's there. I went uh, one evening and um, was there. And it was a church in worship or a, um, a ministry where people were in worship to reward. And, you know, I've been in Pentecostal services uh, before. I've seen God's presence move on people. I saw people who looked odd to me frankly, uh, different. Uh, saw some people kind of dancing in front of the Lord, some people pacing, some people, you know, doing things that I would kind of sit back and like, you know, kind of silly uh, sort of thing. And um, the Lord really convicted me in that moment. And... Uh, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said, I've chosen the foolish things of this world. I've chosen the foolish things of this world. And I made a conscious effort in my mind to never look askance at somebody and never sit back in a congregation and think, well, that's not real. That's not God. That's somebody acting in the flesh. I'm reminded David danced before the Lord does it say in the power of the Spirit? Does it say he danced before? It doesn't say he danced before the Lord in the power of the Spirit. It said he danced before the Lord with all whose might? His. His might. David danced before the Lord with all his, his might. He was so excited for what God was doing. So powerful, so mighty about what God was doing. So he danced before the Lord with all his might. I'm convinced we're in for a, I won't say a rude awakening, but we're in for an awakening when we step into glory. Uh, and we'll wonder what we did with this time here. Where were we in his presence? Where were we in his presence? And that's where I want to be is in his presence. Um, that means I'm going to have to stop doing some things. Stop saying yes to some things. Because I need to be in God's presence. That's the one thing that I can do. That I believe God is calling me to do. To be in his presence. And I think as we get in God's presence, we long after him. We seek him with everything that is within us. We'll begin to see what we're longing after. We'll begin to see a city on fire for the Lord and people transformed by seeking his presence. And in the day of trouble, we'll be concealed in his tabernacle. He will hide us. And so as we stand today, I'm going to ask you to pray. I don't have an elaborate altar call. Um, <clears throat> I think what we ought to pray for is God, get me in your presence. If you're in anticipating trouble, in the midst of trouble, no trouble, God, get me in your presence. I think we also ought to pray, how am I seeking his presence? What am I, what am I doing to seek his presence in whatever that looks like?
whatever that looks like. Are you willing, if God moves on you, whatever it looks like, to get in his presence? Let's pray. God, we think about the one thing. David said one thing. One thing I desire. God, I confess to you this morning that I desire a lot of things. Unfortunately, I don't just desire one thing. There's a lot of things that I desire. I ask you to forgive me of that, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, the times when my words and actions don't align. My words of seeking you, but my actions of seeking other things. But today, I want to make a declaration before you and in your presence. I want to get to that one thing. I want to have such a belief in your glory and in your presence, Lord, that that one thing is all that matters to me, knowing that if I seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness, that all that other stuff would be added. All that other stuff will come along if I seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness, oh God. One thing. One thing, Jesus. To behold your beauty. To behold your beauty. To be in your temple, your presence. To meditate on your beauty. What does that mean for all those other things? God, if I, if I just sit in your temple, if I just meditate on you, if I just look at your glory, what does that mean for all that other stuff that I'm involved in, that my hands in, that I have to think about, God? Seek me first, and all these things will be added to you. God, help us. 
to seek you first. You first. You first. You first. With everything that we have, with all of our longing, to seek you first. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To sit and just gaze upon the glorious, unmatchable beauty of Jesus. God, help me to pursue that one thing. So God, we thank you. I pray you will help us, Lord, as we look to shift priorities. Even in this church, as we look to adjust and think and pray and seek, and everything that's fluff is gone. Everything that's fluff is going to be gone because there's one thing that we're going to be after. We're going to be after your presence. We're going to be after your glory. And all that other stuff you're going to add to us. One thing. Help us. It'll be hard. I know it'll be hard. But we're praying right now that you will help us to get into your presence. And we're not just going to pray about it. Because we are praying about it, we're going to act on it. Because we're praying about it, we're not going to sit around and wait for it to happen. We're going to act on what it means to get in your presence. One thing. One thing. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us knowledge of what it means. Help us. I ask musicians to come. I want you to lead us in a chorus of worship and in unity unto Jesus. If you want a place to pray, you're welcome. If you feel you prayed through, that's fine. But I'm asking you is that you will earnestly, consciously, in whatever way we can do it, push away things that are keeping you from one thing, Push away the things that are keeping you from the one thing. Evaluate. 
Let the Holy Spirit speak to you even in this moment of the things that are hindering your pursuit of one thing, of the one thing, the one thing, what's hindering your pursuit of the one thing. Sleep. Work. What? God did not create you and I to be on this earth to be rich and wealthy. Have houses and take vacations. Concept of a vacation wasn't even known a few hundred years ago. Peter and Paul and John, vacation wasn't in their vocabulary. One thing was. They had seen the beauty of Jesus. They had seen the beauty of Jesus. They looked at his face. They beheld him. They gazed upon him. And when the pressure came, when the day of trouble came along, they said, we know you got laws. We know you got rules. We know that you're thinking certain things. You can tell us to stop talking in this name, but we can't. We can't. We can't stop talking about what we've seen, what we've heard. We've beheld his glory. One thing changes you one thing changes you changes you it changes you so God help us in this moment to pursue that one thing Evaluate our part, seeking, us seeking, seeking, seeking. And one thing, we're going to seek it. We're going we're gonna to search after it. There's a treasure and it's buried. I'm taking a metal detector. I'm taking a, taking a shovel. I'm, I'm looking for a map. I'm going to do what I can to seek after it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push some things away because I'm going to go seek after that treasure. I'm not going to sit in my chair and say, God, bring me the treasure, bring me the treasure, bring me the treasure, bring me the treasure, and then not seek after it. So let's pray. Pray. Let's pray. Let's worship.